0: Welcome everyone, let's get started. My name is Steve Donovan, and I have the privilege of serving as the Director of Alumni Relations at Trinity College. Let me first say that we hope you and your families are well and safe. And to those of you who have lost loved ones to this wretched virus, the hearts of the Trinity community go out to you. We dedicate this program today, which is all about celebrating Bantam Pride, to the thousands of bantams who are on the front lines combating the pandemic. Healthcare workers, first responders, scientists, and all essential workers, we thank you. Now to our program. One of the many we plan to deliver in the weeks and months ahead as part of our new virtual long walk. Check it out on the college's website at trincall.edu. We're joined today by almost 1,000 of you alumni, students, parents, faculty, staff, and friends. And we want to offer an especially warm welcome to the new members of the class of 2024 and their families who join us today. Congratulations and welcome to a very special family. We may be a small liberal arts college in Hartford, Connecticut, but we sure have made our mark on the world, as you'll see today. And I now have the honor of introducing a Bantam who has left quite a legacy of her own. She's going to moderate today's conversation, and while to many of you she needs no introduction, please allow me to brag a little bit about her. Robin Shepherd, an alum herself with a master's degree in 1976, has been a fixture in the Trinity College athletic community for over 40 years. She coached field hockey and lacrosse for 25 years compiling a field hockey record of 240 wins, 67 losses, and 13 ties, leading the Bantams to numerous league titles and two trips to the NCAA, two trips to the NCAA Final Four. She had similar success in lacrosse with a 213 win, 68-5 record, winning league titles and making several NCAA tournament appearances. She also coached women's basketball from 1974 to 78. She must have felt she had a little extra time on her hands. Robin was inducted into the National Field Hockey Coaches Association Hall of Fame in 2002, and last November was inducted into the Intercollegiate Women's Lacrosse Hall of Fame. In 2006, the Lacrosse Association honored her with the Diane Jeppe Aikens Lifetime Achievement Award. And in 2002, Trinity dedicated its new field hockey and lacrosse field, the Robin L. Shepherd Field, in her honor. She retired from coaching in 1999 to assume full-time administrative duties and taught a first-year seminar for eight years where she served as an academic advisor to first-year and sophomore students, one of whom I believe is a panelist today. Robin retired from the college in 2015 as a tenured professor of physical education and the associate athletic director. She has since joined the Trinity Women's Leadership Council in an effort to support and strengthen our alumni network and has been serving as one of the chairs of the Women at the Summit 50th anniversary celebration of co-education. Robin is also a member of the ongoing Trinity Athletics Campaign Committee. Wow. Robin, welcome, take it away.
1: Thanks so much, Steve. Uh... So many of you only got to spend four years on campus. Imagine being able to be here for 41, uh, to work with the students and the coaches, the faculty. Uh, It was a dream job and uh, I miss it a lot. So given the opportunity to share the screen with these five Bantam pros, um, I said yes immediately. Obviously, as Steve mentioned, these are very challenging times. Um, And not to be able to participate in sports, to coach sports, or even to watch them on TV um, has been a real burden for so many of us. And so we thought for the next 90 minutes, it would be refreshing and uplifting to really hear from those folks who are at the top of their game. Um, An overview of the program is as follows. I'm going to have each panelist introduce themselves Although their bios have been attached several times, I hope you got a chance to look over their impressive uh, qualifications. But uh, we're gonna ask them to introduce themselves and say a few other words about Trinity. And then I'm going to ask them questions that you, the Trinity community, uh, have submitted. And so, um, first I'm gonna start with Billy Hogan, class of 96, and what we would like is we want to hear what your job entails, Billy. Um, but we're also interested in a little bit about Trinity. What brought you here? Uh, what you were involved in when you were here, whether it's sports or leadership, fraternities. And uh, just give us a thumbnail sketch of that, please.
2: Hi, everybody. Uh, Billy Hogan, class of 96. Um, and I guess to, to echo Steve and Robin, um, thoughts and prayers with everybody who's been infected by uh, the virus. And obviously all of our worlds have, uh, have changed so dramatically over the course of the last, uh, last couple of months. And I know it will be difficult in the, in the months ahead as well. So um, great, to, uh, great to come together with this, with this community and a place that obviously is so important, um, not just for the four years that, that I was in, in Hartford from 92 to 96, but um, continues to be a huge part of my life uh, going forward. And actually, Robin made sure that uh, I was uh, honest about the fact that although I did play four years of, of ice hockey at, at Trinity, uh, my wife, uh, Jennifer Martinelli Hogan, was by far the better athlete in the family, uh, a two-sport sto- two star, uh, played soccer and lacrosse. So um, we, uh, we have a Trinity household. Um, and yeah, I came to, to Trinity from from Cleveland, where I grew up. Um, and ultimately it was about uh, really playing, playing college hockey. That was really the, uh, the focus for me, um, and Trinity was a place that um, I was really excited about, played for Coach Dunham. Uh, not quite as fortunate as the team uh, these days with a, a rink on campus, which is uh, quite a luxury, uh, and unbelievable work going on with Coach Greeson and, and what the team has done there. And actually, I did break the, uh, break the dress code here for my favorite T-shirt, which uh, <laughs> one of is, uh celebrating a, a national championship. Um, so um, that, that's really kind of how I, I ended up at Trinity. I was a, a member of SIU as well and uh, captain of the hockey team my senior year and, and president of SIU my senior year as well. Um, and, and I guess from the, the standpoint of the impact, as I said, that the Trinity has had on my life, um, really the, the fact that I'm working in sports is down to Trinity. And I know there's a couple of questions that, have been asked um, and will be addressed as, as we go on but um sam kennedy who's who's on the panel uh and i and jay monahan uh who's on the panel and i were all in uh, all Sayu brothers um sam and i uh had the chance to reconnect um in 2002 when uh, we both moved back to boston sam was with the padres and moved back as part of the red sox ownership uh takeover and i had uh, moved back from chicago where i'd been working for a film company Um, and had always wanted to work in sports um, and just hadn't quite found the route in yet. Um, And frankly, my friendship with Sam and connections uh, to Trinity was what led me into uh, working for an agency. Sam was friends with the guy who ran an agency in Boston. Um, So I started at ANC Sports in 2002, and uh, two years later was the first hire of Fenway Sports Management, which is a sports marketing agency within Fenway Sports Group. Um, so I've had the pleasure of working for FSG since 2004, um, and, uh, FSG acquired Liverpool football club back in 2010. Uh, so coming up on 10 years ago. Um, and, uh, I started my full-time role with, uh, with LFC in 2012. And basically my responsibilities at the club, um, I managed the, really the revenue side, revenue generating sides of the club. So the departments, including sponsorship and partnerships, uh, merchandising, ticketing, and hospitality, as well as our uh, media, marketing, and digital platforms. So, um, did an incredible run at, uh, at Liverpool and uh, winning the Champions League last year and currently leading the Premier League. Although obviously, the season is, is currently paused due to the virus. So, we're hoping to get back to playing um, and uh, we'll probably address that as we go. But um, again, circling back, Robin, Trinity, obviously a huge part of, of my life uh, currently and a and, uh, you know, great launching pad um, and a great place to spend four years, as you said.
1: Thanks so much, Billy. Um, we're gonna move on to Mimi McKinnon, class of 04. Thanks, Robin,
3: uh, and the whole Trinity community uh, for tuning in. It is such a pleasure to be amongst such an esteemed panel of Trinity alumni. As Robin mentioned, I am Mimi McKinnon, uh, class of 2004, and currently I am the Special Assistant to the Chief Operating Officer at the National Football League. As a woman working in professional sports, I'm fortunate to have access to the inner workings of the front office of the NFL, which has provided me with some amazing opportunities. In addition to my day-to-day role, I co-chair the Women in Sports Network This group uh, aims to empower and inspire those within the NFL. We are dedicated to the professional development and advancement of women.
1: Hmm.
3: As I continue my journey, I remain focused on becoming a positive role model uh, for young women in sports. As a student athlete at Trinity, I majored in educational studies and was a starting goalie for the varsity women's ice hockey team, serving as captain my junior and senior year. Off the ice, when not in the classroom, I was an active member of Kappa Kappa Gamma. I think my love for football has grown over the years. I do believe it may have stemmed from my days working as a hydration specialist in the athletic department and a professional ankle taper during the Trinity Bantz four year undefeated football season. I will always remember my time at Trinity fondly. The women's ice hockey team did not have a winning record and I may have faced more shots than any goalie in Trinity's ice hockey history, men's or women's. However, I truly believe so many life lessons were learned on and off the ice with my fellow Bantams. Since graduation, I've retired playing ice hockey, but enjoy staying active. Most recently, I completed the New York City Marathon last November, running uh, for my charity, the National Blood Clot Alliance, where I serve as a board member and vice chair. So that is what I've been up to since I left Trinity. (laughs)
1: Um, she did leave out that she still holds the career saves in Women's Ice Hockey and I do believe you got MVP of your team three or four years while you played. So unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks. Um, thank you Mimi. I uh, will move on to Dan Good, class of 95.
4: Thanks Robin. Um, I would say yeah, graduated in 95 uh, with a degree in public policy and a minor in economics. Um, I'd say that my college search resembled Billy, what Billy referenced earlier. I was also looking to play hockey. So I primarily looked at a lot of NESCAC schools. Um, I think what ultimately um, brought me to Trinity was I, I was looking for something um, a little bit more urban. I had been in a sort of a rural setting during in high school and looking for something a little bit more urban, but specifically I was, I was most interested in trying to sort of take my time at school to also do some constructive internships. Um, Interestingly, like after looking at places like Williams and Middlebury and Bowdoin, uh, I think my mom m- might have chosen something a, l- a little less urban. But uh, <laughs> all that being said, I, I, you know, it was a, it was a fit socially. Like I, I, got, I got to come to campus and spend some time with some of the guys on the hockey team. And it just was a gut instinct. So that's kind of what drew me to Trinity. Um, so while there, I did play hockey under Coach Donham as well. Um, I was an officer um, and member of AD. Uh, unlike my fellow panelists. I mean, the, uh, the prospect of our, our idea of living with Harry Einbender and his pet snake was interesting, but um, I decided to go in a different direction. So, uh, and then I also had the opportunity to spend junior year bl- abroad. Um, so I went over for a semester in, in, in London, which was, uh, which was really great. Um, following Trinity, I did not follow a, a sports path. Um, my internships during college were mostly, all, all, almost always in the investment space. So I, I, I wanted to um, pursue the opportunity to get into like an investment banking training program, something that I felt would give me a really broad sort of base to build from and, and not really fully knowing which direction I might go in my career. But I feel like getting one of those programs was uh, would be really beneficial. So I was lucky enough going back to Trinity uh, Connections. Um, I don't know if, if Brian Zanko is on the call, but he was uh, a Trinity alum and he he gave me my first job. So I have to thank Bryant for that. Um, I, I did not know him before, but, uh, spent the next two or three years, uh, in that, in that program, working, learning, um, maybe, maybe, uh, karmically, uh, one of the first deals I was exposed to was Nike. Uh, we were advising Nike's acquisition of CanStar sports, which was the, uh, they owned the Bauer brand, uh, for hockey. So mm-hmm. that was like, Oh, this is perfect. Like it just was, made, you know, meant to be. So, uh, you know, uh, really like that. Spent about six years in New York doing investment banking. Uh, got married in June of 01. My wife is not from Trinity or did not go to Trinity, but my uh, classmate, uh, Betsy Mullen, uh, played a matchmaking role there. So there is a yeah. tr- Trinity connection. Uh, and so we, uh, we got married in 01 and decided to move to St. Louis. Um, sadly, our move date was actually 9-11. Uh, mm-hmm. The actual move date was 9-11. We packed on the Monday, the 10th. Everything we owned was in a box. We were ready to leave the morning of 9/11, and obviously the rest is history. There, mm-hmm. um, we spent the next 10 days in the city, walking around with our driver's license and a utility bill to prove that where we lived in tragic times. But we ended up moving in the fall of um, of of, of, two, of, 01, and uh, I spent the next 10 to 15, uh, 13 years, I guess, uh, in partnership with a couple guys in an investment advisory business. And what sort of ended up ended up happening with I did some work with the for the Cardinals in uh, managing some deferred compensation um, uh, funds that they had sort of uh, through through my investment advisory firm that I had in partnership with my guys. But basically, my first role with the Cardinals, and Sam, I remember calling you, um, asking your opinion on some of this stuff, but we ended up acquiring a um, AAA affiliate. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, MLB clubs don't necessarily own their minor league affiliates. Um, but... It's becoming you know sort of, sort of more common, but we end up acquiring the AAA uh, uh, Memphis Redbirds, and then you know my current role today is is I, I would put it in the category of still sort of somewhat project based it, 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 i end up I, I sort of oversee outside investments that the Cardinals have, as you can imagine in, in, in hearing Billy and the dynamic between um, the Red Sox and fsg the these entities have become more diversified portfolios of, of outside investments, and so we have ownership stakes in our in our uh, regional sports network. We have a real estate development that we've uh, opened adjacent to our ballpark with the sort of idea of expanding the day-to-day ballpark experience. And it's got a, you know, adjacent hotel um, and residential tower. Um, And then I've got um, one of the things that sort of takes a lot of my time is I I, we're in joint venture with the Marlins down in Florida uh, for our play spring training slash player development um, complex. And uh, most recently, that's kind of what we take a lot of my time. We're, we're doing about uh, uh, probably a hundred plus million dollar renovation of that facility. Um, we'll see what happens. It's still in process. I, I would expect it would be, could be paused here at some point. But, um, but yeah, that, 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 uh, you know, that kind of sums up what I do. I mean, I basically work directly with our chairman and president on any strategic outside investments that might be of interest and in, in help manage that portfolio. And I guess, most recently, sadly, I'm quarantining with my wife, Margot, uh, my three teenage kids, um, you know, working on contingency planning for the season, not knowing where it's going to go, trying to manage employees at all our different levels. Cause we do own triple A, double A, single A, as well as our, our, our large staff in St. Louis. So it's complicated and, you know, we're trying to do the best we can, um, fill in time with long runs with my daughter, uh, nine holes with my son, sons. Occasionally I, uh, I ordered and built a basketball hoop out of a, uh, out of a box. So <laughs> I pride myself on that, but that's, that's about how I'm filling
5: my time these days.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much, Dan. And now we'll move to Jay Monahan, class of 93.
5: Thank you, Robin. And, uh, I just want to say thank you for your incredible service and contributions, continued contributions to Trinity. Uh, you are a true Trinity legend. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would just say that that for me, grew up in Belmont, Massachusetts, um, and I was a lot like Dan in that I really was attracted to uh, the urban nature of Trinity College when I when I came on a visit with my mother, and um, I was a history major with an economics minor, and I had a very interesting start to to my time at Trinity. Um, I was. For my freshman seminar, I was uh, in the, the single greatest class in the history of Trinity, the underside of American history by Professor Schultz. And it was the greatest class because it was in that class where I met my wife, Susan, oh, who was, was watching this, this video. Um, and uh, also in my freshman year, I also had another kind of interesting occurrence. I, had, uh, I was in a quad and I, they put me in the quiet dorm. And I never could quite figure out why they put me <laughs> quiet dorm with three of the loudest guys at Trinity but we made our way through freshman year and had a wonderful wonderful time um, in my time I, I was fortunate to, to play hockey and to play golf it was certainly one of the considerations for me as I thought about where I wanted to go to school and I learned from two great coaches coach Dunham and coach Dietrich uh, learned a lot about leadership from them and watching the way that they led our teams was a Sayu brother alongside Sammy and Bill Billy um, and had had the great opportunity to lead our fraternity my senior year, with a great group of men that uh, I stay in close contact with and that I continue to uh, to learn from. And Trinity Trinity has had such a profound impact on my life because not only did I meet my wife, uh, my brother Brendan came my junior year, and my brother Brendan met his wife Abby at Trinity. So. Oh, great. Interestingly enough, in this this age of the coronavirus, Brendan and Abby and their kids are down here in Ponte Vedra, where we now reside and have been for eight weeks. So it's been a an eight week Trinity uh, reunion of sorts for us. But, um, you know, I I, after after leaving Trinity, uh, I, I actually went on a bicycle trip across the country with my three roommates. Uh, Steve Skillman, Peter Knight, and Rob Krebs. And it was during that time that I, d- I decided I wanted to pursue a career in sports. And I uh, took a number of different roles along the way, but I consider the time that I spent at Fenway Sports Group with Sam and with Billy to be the greatest learning years of my career. And to be in an industry um, with, with two great men like them and to have been through the experiences we were, went through at Trinity and afterwards has been something that's been a blessing for me, you know, every step of the way up until this point in time in my career, I continue to rely heavily uh, on the two of them um, for advice and, uh, and counsel as we go forward. But I would say that um, for Trinity, I just, the thing I always think about is I think it's a very competitive school. Everybody, I just, everybody, I just saw it great, great drive in people. Um, and and that that to me was a source of inspiration. And I also think the urban nature is like real life. and And that's one of the defining characteristics for me with Trinity, which is I feel like it really is a great learning environment, but it's also the environment in which you can transfer into real life very quickly as you graduate. And I think the human element and the human connection and the human relationships at a school the size of Trinity, is provides you just an enormous opportunity to learn on that front as well. So, if you're on your way into Trinity in a class of 24, you made an unbelievable choice, um, and uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best in the years ahead. Great,
1: thanks so much, Jay. We took a vote and we put Sam last in hopes that we would run out of time, but it turns <laughs> out we actually have a few minutes. So, Sam Kennedy, class of '95, you're on.
6: Well, I was—I uh, had like a fifteen-minute speech prepared, but <laughs> Billy and Jay went on really way too long, as they typically did in our time at Trinity. Um, great to see everybody! Uh, thanks for logging in here today to all of you at the Trinity community. Great to to connect with you. Um, I hope your families are safe and and sound. And um, you know, we there's a lot of um, recurring themes here, uh, like Jay, like. Billy, uh, I was very fortunate to meet my wife uh, at Trinity, Amanda Johnson, class of 1994. Um, my younger brother, uh, Jamie Kennedy, uh, was class of 99. He also met his wife, Tamara, at, at Trinity. So just an unbelievable family connection. And we're also so, so blessed. And I think it's appropriate that I actually follow Jay, uh, because I was thinking about it this morning, uh, I've literally been following him since the day I met him in 1991. It's almost 30 years ago, hard to believe. Uh, probably no more uh, important experience for me in my life than uh, my time at Trinity College. I think probably everyone on the panel will agree and many people watching will agree. That period of time was, was so special. Um, and I was blessed to not only meet Jay, but uh, Billy and Dan was my classmate. Um, Jay mentioned his younger brother, Brendan, my best friend and, and roommate for three out of the four years. And it, it sounds uh, strange, but you, you have these mentors in your life and you think of mentors that are, you know, 20, 30, 40 years older in your professional career. I've always said there's nothing more important than mentorship. And I look at my time at Trinity As having mentorship from my peers, not necessarily uh, coaches or teachers, but the peer mentorship and the leadership that people like Jay and Brendan and Billy and Rob Krebs and Peter Knight, and Jim Tomford and all these uh, guys who were um, just such important mentors for me at a time when you're you're young and thinking about your life and your career is really important. Um, My story is just just quickly, it's it's not steeped in the success uh, or um, performances on the ice or the field. uh, Like Mimi or Dan or Jay or Billy, Uh, my story was rooted in complete and total failure uh, (laughs) as a Trinity uh, athlete, wannabe athlete. I I was fortunate to land on the baseball team my freshman year, but after a season of sitting on the end of the bench, not playing, um, I I remember going to coach Decker and saying, you know, coach, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of playing time. Uh, Sort of thinking about the future here. And I was thinking about maybe a study abroad program down the the line. I could go in the fall or the spring. um, And I was pretty crafty because I knew I, I would get a straight answer out of him. And he said, you know, Sam, I think you should, you should really consider going away for a spring semester. And <laughs> it was at that moment that I knew I would never play baseball again at Trinity College. Uh, and, and that, that failure, uh, in my mind, uh, cut deep, but it also turned my attention towards working with those peer mentors that I mentioned and the support that I got from people like Jay and Brendan and Billy and Dan and others to pursue my passion and my dream, which was to work in baseball, really took shape there. And I started a letter writing campaign from Trinity, walking to Mather, trying to figure out how I could get an internship uh, in baseball. I was fortunate to get an internship the summer of 1993 with the New York Yankees. And that led me to the Padres and led me back to Boston in 2002. And um, Jay obviously has gone on to much bigger and better things. Billy and I are still colleagues, still work for the same company, but he's gone on to bigger and better things running Liverpool Football Club uh, over in, in Liverpool and in London. So it's just a privilege to be here today with you guys. And um, thank you for uh, supporting Trinity. Great to be to reconnect uh, with these guys virtually uh, and, and really looking forward to today's conversation. Thanks, Robin.
1: Thank you all so much. And I appreciate you kept everything PG <laughs> because I've heard some uh, from uh, some other versions. Uh, Thanks so much. And so now what we're going to do is move on to the questions that came again from the Trinity community, all good ones, by the way. And um, I did want to mention that the other day, watching TV, which I know several of us do a lot of hours of the day, I I heard sports uh, columnist Christine Brennan speaking about professional sports. And she said something that's so obvious, but she said professional sports are our North Star and they're our bellwether. And without them, we've all felt a little adrift and very, very lost. And so with that comment from her very much in the forefront, I, uh, I chose the very first question because it was along those lines. And this question comes from, I'm very pleased to say, uh, one of my former captains, Lisa Parker, class of 1980. And Lisa asks, soon after the 9-11 tragedies, sports provided a way for us to heal as a nation. The question on the mind of all sports fans, including myself, is when and how do you see your sport reopening safely? And I thought I would throw that to Jay first, um, since I believe uh, the PGA currently might have the first event uh, on their schedule, maybe in June. So Jay, would you like to start for us?
5: Jaybo, you're muted. We expect, thank you, Robin. We expect to uh, to return the week of June eight to fourteen. Uh, we We stepped away uh, on March twelfth and uh, announced our our new schedule, which will take us through the end of this year, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, at this point, All all signals are that we're going to be fully supported, and the PGA Tour will be back playing that week. We'll also be announcing two small uh, events uh, in the next week that will precede it significant charitable events led by some of our top players. And I think, you know, the fundamental question that we've had to face is at what point in time can you return? in both a, a healthy, safe, and responsible manner. And our sport is, is unique in that it, it generally, it, it lends itself naturally to social distancing. If you watch, our, watch what happens inside the field of play, our players and their caddies generally are not that close to each other. Uh, and they're spread out, out over several hundred acres and generally they're 300 yards away from the closest group to them. So when I go back to that question about health and safety, we have to, because every single week we're in a different market and we're playing 46 times over the course of the year, as we project forward, looking at this virus and its impact, you've got to have a strong understanding of where things stand in each one of those local markets, working with local and state officials, with health officials, and we've had to work hard to get the support in place to return and to get that support you've got to lay out very specifically how you plan to test and create a safe environment and we have put a ton of time into that and i'm very proud of the team that i lead uh for putting us in position to return and it's um you know the the key element to this is testing and you, when, you, when you come back and you're testing, you have to do it in a way where you're not taking away from the critical need across our country and certainly in the markets where we play. So we need continued uh, developments as it relates to rapid response testing. But at this point, we're confident that starting the week of June 8 to 14, we'll be in a position with 132 players that will be playing that week to be able to test them in advance, have strong testing protocols that week, And in the exciting part of this is, you know, just spend a minute on our business, you know, each one of our tournaments uh, is generally run by a volunteer organization. And the net proceeds from our tournaments raise significant dollars for charities in those communities. So by going offline for 11 weeks, we've had 11 markets where millions of dollars will not be contributed this year. Mm -hmm. And there's a strong appetite in each one of these markets as we return and there's a strong desire from our players to come back and re, you know, reinstate that that impact that we have. Because to the point you were making, Robin, and that Christine was making in terms of sports being an important part of our health and our well-being and our mindset, I think for everybody on this panel, when we look at our colleagues, when we look at the athletes that we represent, we feel like that is our source of inspiration and that is our that is our opportunity, that's our responsibility. Uh, and it's incredibly inspiring to think that we're now turning towards a return and, and that we can start providing that and doing it in a thoughtful and safe and responsible way. And that's what that's,
1: we to do. That's terrific. And uh, speaking from my own household, that will make a very happy environment for, uh, for me. Um, thank you, Jay. Um, I did hear Dr. Fauci, who we all know is very conservative when he speaks, uh, he did say the other night that he hopes baseball comes soon this summer, uh, if only for our mental health. So I was wondering if Sam or Dan uh, would like to add to that question.
6: Go ahead, Dan. You Can want to go? go? Sam, will you want to go? Okay. Um, well, Dan and I are uh, uh, partners in crime on on this one. We have got a um, a, a a group of. Uh, team presidents that I'm fortunate uh, to lead that are examining this issue of exactly what Jay said. How do we return to play in a safe and healthy manner? First and foremost, for our employees, our players, our fans, everyone in the organization. Um, We are not as advanced and as far along as Jay. Um, I joked about following and and him leading, which has been a consistent theme. Uh, It's happening again here. Uh, Jay has become very close with our commissioner uh, for Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, who is asked us to examine this issue. And we have our group looking at it. Uh, We are, I would say, uh, if it were a baseball game in the seventh or eighth inning of um, identifying the most appropriate Uh, plan uh, to return to play Uh, but we have a ways to go as Jay mentioned the challenges logistically testing is has to be uh, front and center Um, we obviously are are all over the country um, and there are different options for us whether it's playing in our home ballpark getting started in a phased in approach uh, perhaps without fans in the stands Uh, perhaps playing at neutral sites around the country. Uh, We're blessed with baseball to have something very unique that other uh, sports teams and leagues don't have, and that is 30 mirror image uh, facilities, either in Florida or in Arizona. So we have options in terms of returning to play, um, and I can assure you we would only do it uh, if it's safe, uh, and the testing uh, that we would engage in actually would be Uh, incremental and would help uh, uh, provide municipalities more testing rather than less testing. Uh, So really excited that Jay and the PGA Tour uh, put a date out there. Uh, June 11th has been circled on my calendar ever since uh, Jay had communicated that. uh, And we hope that baseball uh, follows uh, in the wake of the PGA Tour. NASCAR is getting going, Bundesliga we hope over in Germany is getting going. Um, so we're, we're, we're anxious to, to do it, but it's got to be uh, in a responsible way. And hopefully that's sometime this summer. Dan, I don't know if you want to add to that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would just add that I remember, I think we can all remember the image, the images in the, um, following 9-11, you know, when uh, I think the Yankees, I'm not sure they're playing, were, you know, sort of the first sporting event to come out. And I just remember how uh, it, it just gave you something to look forward to and hopeful. And I think we're all grasping for that right now. Um, as Sam said you know as a, as a league or you know as thirty organizations we're going to certainly look to um, Commissioner Manfred and the, the amount of work that they're doing in their front office, contingency planning, exploring all possible options is is uh, is mind blowing really to to listen to what they're doing so um, again, health and safety is the highest priority, and we can't um, we can't be cavalier about that and try to rush back, but we want to also you know get people back I think jay i 'm jealous you, you get to be sort of this the uh, the emerging beacon out of a, an otherwise uh, horrific crisis, but glad you 're taking the lead on that
1: Billy, is there a chance uh, you guys will be back in your successful ways what 's happening there in London
2: yeah well, I think um, uh, you yeah, know I would would echo um, the the comments around um, getting going again and and you know Robin your comments that uh, that Christine Brennan mentioned I think you know similarly over here uh obviously the premier League is a huge part of uh our culture um not just here in the u k but globally um and uh you know i think we all miss sports and uh certainly in our each in, in individual sports we certainly miss you know certainly in in my case miss the miss football so i think you know really. I guess it starts from the standpoint of, you know, you, you need the commitment really to to restart. And I think, you know, there's, uh, as probably people have may have read, but there is a commitment from the Premier League and from the Premier League clubs to to restart the season and to, to try and finish the season. I think the challenge that we're all dealing with is the unknown. There's, there's so much um, that we don't know and, you know, we're all following the data. Uh, on a, uh, a, you know, on a day-by-day basis. But really, it's about creating a safe and healthy environment, um, not just for the players and the coaches. Obviously, that's critical. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a number of people around the environment. Um, You know, if we are playing behind closed doors, it still means there's hundreds of people that need to be in the stadium to help execute a game. Uh, and broadcast a match, um, so you know testing obviously is a huge part of that. Social distancing, et cetera, um, and working closely with the government, with um, you know the the healthcare workers, the first responders, you know the the, the challenges that that presents. Um, where you know obviously we want this to be a part of society and a part of bringing you know sports back and that that feel good, positive message around sports. So. Um, you know our hope is and our goal is to to get going again. There's kind of nothing specific yet in the uh in the books. As uh, as Sam said, um, you know, look looks uh it looks great for the PGA and um you know as Sam mentioned the Bundesliga restarting in Germany, uh which they'll be playing uh not next weekend but the weekend after. Um and so I think that's a you know that's a positive uh first first mover uh sort of position so um yeah our our hope is that we will get going again and obviously from our standpoint um it's been an unbelievably exciting season, and the team has performed so well um so we're we're hopeful we can um complete the season and and ultimately um you know if the, if we can finish off uh win a trophy which would be which would be tremendous so
1: terrific thank you everybody. We all um appreciate all the hard work and energy that you're putting into this. Um, The next question is directed right at you, Mimi. It even said, Mimi McKinnon. Mm -hmm. Um, It's coming from our head women's lacrosse coach, Katie Dissinger. And um, her question is, Mimi, the NFL conducted one of its marquee events virtually last weekend. Was the league pleased with fan reaction, and were there any lessons learned?
3: Thanks Robin. Uh, Well, hopefully everyone tuned in uh, to three days of live television, which I know um, fans and everyone are so thirsty for these days and tired of watching uh, reruns. But as some of you may know, uh, the NFL Draft was set to take the stage in all its glitz and glamour in Las Vegas, uh, with many screaming super fans lining the Vegas Strip. Um, Instead, it took place in the commissioner's basement uh, with 55 million total viewers, which over a three-day event, which is just unbelievable. Um, The draft planning usually begins years before the events uh, take place. What you saw on TV actually was accomplished in a little over a month uh, in the middle of March, which is an impressive technical feat Uh, which included uh, 600 camera feeds in homes of everyone from the commissioner, more than 85 draft prospects, 32 head coaches, 32 general managers, fans, college coaches, and so many other including celebrities. Um, The 2020 draft was one I will never forget and it offered an unprecedented access for all of our fans. Uh, this year's draft also brought a lot. It brought lots of firsts for the league, including a draftathon, uh, which was a three-day virtual fundraiser, uh, which enabled us to show our gratitude for the extraordinary work of all the first responders and healthcare workers. Um, and we are so proud uh, that the collective NFL family raised over hundred million dollars uh, to benefit. Six uh, national nonprofits focused on COVID 19 relief efforts, which was just unprecedented. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I would say the lessons learned only, you know, we're just a few days removed uh, from this year's draft, which um, many sport fans know it's also a business uh, meeting, a very glamorized business meeting. Um, We've gleaned at least two important lessons, I would say. Um, The first is the ability of our organization to pivot quickly um, in response to the crisis. Um, And also to provide a live format sports experience for our fans that many people have never experienced before. Um, The second is that our fans are equally adaptable and we're able to experience the draft in a new and engaging way. Um, you were in Coach Belichick's home in Nantucket. Um, you were in all the prospects' homes with their families and friends and children, and you got to look into a coach's life, uh, you know, not uh, behind the desk, but with his kids climbing all over him. And uh, it was just really an unbelievable, magical uh, moment that you know, I don't know if we'll be able to create again, but we hope to. So, as we look to host the 2021 draft in Cleveland, uh, I know some of these new and innovative ideas will be put into place. Um, and I will end with just overall uh, the draft was such a huge success, and we're so proud, um, and we hope we gave everyone a little uh you know light uh in a really hard tough time uh that we've all been going through. So it definitely is one I will never forget. First time I watched it on television. So <laughs> usually I'm in the mix um and enjoying it uh, live but it was uh it was really such an unbelievable experience. So we and again we're so proud of all the work our colleagues and um you know, partners and sponsors and everyone really just came together um, and made it happen, which uh, a lot of people thought we wouldn't make it happen. So uh, I'm glad we hopefully led the charge for future events to come.
1: That's great. Thank you, Mimi. Uh, since this is my fifth Zoom call, uh, I was looking at it in awe of how they were manipulating and arranging all of that. It was really amazing. Um, So the next question comes from Alex Rafel, class of 2013, and I'm going to confess that this is a little out of my league, but it's coming your way, Dan. Um, How are you thinking about both esports and mobile gaming and legalization of sports betting as avenues for augmenting the fan experience alongside the traditional live sports model? Go for it
4: okay uh well funny you should say that it's out of your league because i'll I'll tell you a story about five or six years ago i attended a conference called the future of sports it's it's hosted or held by um delaware north which is our concessionaire partner um and it was at boston garden and i was sitting on the floor listening to a presentation about quite honestly i was sitting on the floor looking at all the banners up on on the ceiling you know from my childhood days as a bruins fan uh and basically they were talking about esports and presenting these the the visual images of packed arenas and people watching other people play video games and i honestly thought am i am i on candid camera or (laughs) i I didn't even know how to process it but so obviously i'm I'm not a gamer um but uh but yeah it's it's interesting i mean so for the esports i think um i think you could look at it two ways um it could be a competitive source of entertainment something that would take away from people wanting to follow traditional sports but we were intrigued um, as an organization to, to, to learn, learn more about it in the sense of better understanding the demographics of who's playing, how they're consuming their media, what might be mm-hmm. appealing to sort of a younger demographic a generation, and seeing if we could use it as a way to be- better connect with that demographic. I mean, I don't know that baseball as a sport lends itself uh, all that well to a, an esports. The thing I've learned about esports is that it's, it's really about... Playing something in an alternate kind of universe. I mean, the traditional, you know, the MLB the show or, or or Madden football. I mean, I think there's there's an audience for that. But the true esports enthusiast is they're after something entirely different. They're looking for, uh, you know, a, a different experience. So um, we just looked. At, we we haven't done much in the space to be honest with you. We don't really have like an esports team. Uh, I, I know other NBA organizations and and uh, other industries are, are sort of dabbling in that. But um, NFL, I think, has got a couple as well. But we just looked at it as an opportunity to better understand the space and understand um, how we could adapt to what people will be looking for on, on a go forward basis. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, that's kind of on eSports. Um, you know, I, I think, well, in kind of stating the obvious, I think you, you, you regularly read that baseball uh, struggles or suffers from an aging demographic. And so as a side note, we we, we did a lot of work on that. And we looked at our, our fan base in St. Louis and we, we, what we found out is the average ticket buyer is in their late 50s. I think it was 57 or 58, but the average ticket user is 20 plus years younger than that. And so that's the kind of stuff we're working on to better understand, like, you know, are there in-game things we could do that would like talk to our fan base a little bit more? And, you know, particularly the younger, I'll call them younger gamers, but I think there's, it's just a growing group of people. Um, I think on the Changing gears on the second part of the question, the legalization of gambling. This is a, <laughs> um, I, I think it's pretty complicated topic generally, but I think it's I, I think it's gonna be state by state, I think is what we're seeing. Um, different states are gonna move more quickly, different organizations. I think, you know, we will certainly take the lead for MLB policies around morality and, and all those different things. But I, I do think, and Billy, you can chime in here at any moment because I think you're much more on the front lines of this, but I do see Um, probably going the way of, of of gambling um, legalization in Europe in terms of how it's integrated into your stadium. And, um, you know, Billy, I don't know if you want to share an anecdote, but I'm I'm guessing you have a window in your stadium and people kind of do that more, more frequently. It's gone on for 20 plus years, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, it's legal here. And um, yeah, you can place a wager uh, immediately before the match and, uh, you know, what the score might be, who's going to score the first goal, you can place a bet at halftime. So um, yeah, was one of the, uh, just, you know, having not experienced that in U S sport, you know, one of the, one of the sort of early learnings um, coming over was uh, just how prevalent uh, betting is not just you know generally, which I think across all society, frankly, there's betting, but um, specifically within the building uh, or at the venue, which, uh, which is, um, obviously not the case in the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see where where and how that evolves um, as it's becoming uh, more sort of uh, part of the day-to-day in the U.S. now than, than what it was previously.
4: Yeah, and I think just to wrap it up on that, I mean, I think it, like the eSports, this could just be, I hope, if done properly, you know, to preserve the integrity of the game and handled in the right way. I think it's just one more way to, to engage with fans. I think people will just mm-hmm. be so much more interested in, in, in sort of certain aspects of the game and whether that's prop bets or the ultimate outcome, but I, I think it'll evolve.
1: It's interesting because I was, um, after I stopped coaching at Trinity, I, I Rick Hazelton put me in charge of NCAA compliance. So as you're talking about betting, I'm getting heart palpitations <laughs> uh, about the legality and illegality of that. Um, thank you. That's very interesting and new to me. Um, Billy, there's another question here, um, and it's interesting because it's not really about you or or the other panelists. Uh, It comes from Drew Galbraith, our current director of athletics, and the question says, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Jurgen Klopp has been the manager of Liverpool since 2015 and obviously has had a significant impact on your team's success what do you feel are his greatest strengths as a leader
2: yeah um and you did you did pronounce it correctly jurgen yeah um he's been uh i guess probably just easy (laughs) a force of nature he's uh he's just an incredible leader um and i think any any manager or coach has a unique responsibility i think in in football, in the, in the Premier League, and frankly, you know, whether you're in the Premier League or the Championship or the other divisions, you know, the, the manager or the coach um, is both kind of responsible for managing the team, but also really weighs in on selection of the players, um, who you ultimately recruit, um, and working very closely with the sporting director, in our case, a guy named Michael Edwards. Um, so I think there's, there's kind of two parts to the success of, you know, what we've been able to achieve, since Jurgen's been here, partly is Jurgen absolutely in the and the football that we play and the way that he manages and his coaching staff, and it's also the way that he works, uh, kind of hand in glove with with Michael and what they do as it relates to recruitment of talent and bringing in the right players, and then you know what Jurgen and their t- and their team can do in terms of developing that talent. But in terms of his leadership capabilities, I think you know um, <laughs> he his opening press conference when he came to to Liverpool, and they uh, they sort of asked him. Uh, Jose Mourinho, whose, uh, whose nickname is the special one, and they asked him, you know, what's your what's your nickname? And he said, I'm just the normal one. Um, <laughs> and I think that he's, he's really, really down-to-earth, authentic, honest, direct. Um, you know, the guy you see in front of the camera is the guy that, you know, I see when I'm having meetings with him. Um, he cares deeply about the club. He cares deeply about the fan base. I think, you know, his connection that he has with, you know, 55,000 people at Anfield is is unique, I think, within the Premier League. And um, I think, you know, the other piece just, you know, from my perspective in terms of kind of my role and, and our job is to obviously generate revenue so that, you know, we can provide them with the resources to go and, and recruit those players. You know, he cares deeply about helping the commercial side of the club. So, you know, giving up his time. To help with partners, to help with community events, um, you know whether it's just you know make a phone call to a prospect or you know being part of a, a piece of content that we've created, and um, you know our media team does unbelievable work, but they couldn't do it without his help and his support, um, and I think you know that in certain cases you can get that kind of divide between sort of the football side and the and the business side and you know he ensures that that doesn't exist and he leads from the front on that so you know it's really helpful in terms of making us all able to to do what we need to do but um yeah i think his his greatest strengths are just his his ability to be direct and honest with people and he, he was at an event once and somebody asked him kind of how you know how he views himself um in terms of his his sort of friendship or otherwise with the players. And and he sort of made an interesting comment where he said, you know, my job is to be their friend, but my job is not to be their best friend. Um, And so I think, you know, and you can see that the, you know, the guys really, really respect him. Um, And, you know, he's got to make hard decisions in a lot of cases about who's going to play and who's not going to play and all those things. But, you know, when you're around them in that environment, he's created an unbelievable atmosphere um, which you obviously see on the pitch and the success that they're having. So he's, a, as I said, a force of nature, a terrific, terrific guy, and we're, uh, we're lucky to have him.
1: That's great. He sounds like uh, the epitome of a profile of a leader, the way yeah, you absolutely. just described him. Absolutely. Uh, the next question is for Jay Monahan, And again, this is uh, something that I'm anxious to learn about. Uh, Jay it comes from an IDP student, actually, uh, named Matt Lackevol. Uh, Jay, I am a huge fan of the PGA Tour, and I participate in the Tourist Fan Council. I think it's a great idea for any organization or company, and I was wondering if you knew how many fans were part of it, and to what extent does the PGA consider what they hear in those surveys?
5: Matt, thanks for the question, and thank you for serving on our fan council. Um, And, you know, I, I think when I think of... The fan council, I think of economics 101 and the time that I spent at Trinity. And any business is only as good as its customer and its relationship with its customer. In our case, we serve a lot of constituents, but the primary constituents we serve is the fan. And so for us, we take a fan first approach through everything that we do. And our fan council, which we established several years ago with now 5,000 strong, essentially is the voice of our fans and we have it organized across a number of different fan fan segments but we were to answer your question Matt we take that we take the council we take the council's role very seriously to me it's you know it's an outsized focus group that operates in real time we correspond with you 30 times a year and when I look back over the last couple years and I think about changes that we made to our schedule, changes that we've made to our playoff structure, changes the way, with the way that we produce our over-the-top product, PGA Tour Live. A lot of those concepts we brought to the council, we get feedback, we make adjustments based on that feedback, and, uh, and we go and we execute. And I think about what Dan was talking about and Billy was talking about with gaming. And for us right now, with the legalization of PASPO, we're gonna be coming back to the Fan Council, starting to share some of the concepts we have uh, as golf goes forward, both nationally and internationally, placing its data and participating in a legalized and responsible way in, in gaming. We think it's to the point they were are making a massive opportunity for us to, to engage our fans, and we wanna do it uh, the absolute right way. So it's a uh, it's a it's a huge part of of how we of how we manage our business. And the other thing I'll tell you is that for everybody here, you know, when we come back uh, the week of June eight to fourteen, and again, that's that's what we hope to do. Uh, we're coming back with no fans on property, millions of fans that will be watching across media platforms. So the question that we all have is how do you take what we've experienced in that path, in the past, and the energy that you see through, through your television screen, through your mobile device or on property, and what are the steps that you can do to replace that? And how can you engage your fans in a different way? And so we have ideas, but just to give everybody a sense, we'll go back to that council and those ideas will get better. So oh,
1: that's great.
5: again, thanks for your, thanks for your support.
1: That's terrific. Um, The next couple questions uh, were not addressed to anybody in particular, Um, so I'll ask one person to start, but then we'd love to just uh, hear from as many of you who are interested. Um, And this one actually comes from a current student who, by the way, is on the women's hockey team. Uh, Her name is Morgan Bronstein, and this is very popular. I used to hear this... uh, from students who wanted to go uh, into my line of business, college coaching. The question is, oh, and I'm sorry, Morgan's also a member of our new women's golf team. I hope you all knew that we added that uh, for women. So the question is, do you think that attending a liberal arts school can hinder your ability to get involved in sports management positions? That's, I'm sure you get asked that a lot, particularly if you're on campus. Um, up in career counseling, uh, doing a networking event. Um, So it it feels like it hasn't hurt you, but Sam, why didn't you start? Did coming to Trinity, was in any way a hindrance?
6: No, in fact, I think it it helps. um, Just given the quality of the student body, the quality of mentorship that you can get there from, as I mentioned, your peers, or in the case of the real athletes on this panel, your coaching staff. Um, and for me, uh, I think Dan mentioned this at the outset, I was very attracted to Trinity um, for um, a, a few reasons, but one was the urban nature, being right in Hartford um, and having access to uh, the city was huge um, for me. I, I, Jay and Billy will tell you, I did every internship under the sun, another advantage of getting cut from a sports team. Uh, You have that ability. And I, so I worked for the good old Hartford Whalers uh, hockey team. Uh, I remember picking up uh, Pierre Maguire's dry cleaning. That was my job for the Whalers. I worked for the CBA basketball team, the Hartford Hellcats and coach Paul McKeskey. These are, this sounds like ancient history for everyone here, but um, I had a chance to drive the campus shuttle uh, work down at the old College View Cafe, for those of you on the, on the uh, uh, call remember that, a fine establishment. So lots of jobs and I, and I think the work ethic that Trinity students have is second to none and demonstrating your commitment to, to joining the workforce at a young age for all of you entering into Trinity is really important. Um, you know, jobs at, at restaurants, uh, really important, summer camps, uh, in business, Trinity offers you the best of, of everything. You can, you can work um, in, in the city. You can find uh, summer internships. You can find internships while you're in class. So I think that's really, really important. Um, and I also just wanted to add before I yield the floor over to someone else, uh, two quick points because I am getting razzed by a lot of people uh, on my mobile device here. Lots of friends in the audience asking me about this hat. I just want to make sure everyone understands it's a Trinity Bantam hat. And unfortunately, My daughter, my 15-year-old daughter, uh, got a hold of the Clippers and uh, gave me my first quarantine haircut. Uh, So, apologize for the look here, everybody. And then the other thing I wanted to say is, Mimi, um, Roger Goodell doesn't know this yet, but in professional sports, most people know that there is something called the Trinity Mafia uh, of those of us who are in the sports world. And we already have a plan. It's already set in stone that you're going to succeed him as the next commissioner (laughs) of the NFL. So we're going to have two Trinity alums as commissioners uh, in their respective sports. So just don't tell anybody uh, out there that that Mimi's all set to succeed Roger. Uh, <laughs> and we're working on that. The mafia is working on that. That should be coming, <laughs> coming soon. So good luck and, and congratulations.
3: awesome. Thanks, Sam.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Mimi, since uh, you're the <laughs> commissioner elect, um, did you feel like being a Trinity as an education? I know you did a lot of jobs in between that then and where you are now but did you ever think I should have gone to a non-liberal arts school or you know I
3: would echo what Sam said um I absolutely not a hindrance. Um, I think no matter what career path, um, you can never go wrong with a liberal arts education, especially at Trinity. I was an education studies major, which some people are very surprised about um, what I'm doing today with my career, but it really uh, gave me so many amazing opportunities, especially being in an inner city school. I volunteered um, and was a student helper for one of the teachers at one of the local Uh, grade schools, which was, you know, a really unique opportunity, which you can't get just any other place, Um, you know, and also just having the ability to have experience. Um, I keep bringing up the training room, but it was uh, really one of my joys of working um, in the training room with my fellow athletes. Um, And also having the ability to be the president of my sorority and be a leader um, in the athletics Uh, department. I mean, I was able to have such an amazing uh, career in hockey, uh, but also that wasn't the only defining thing of my stay at Trinity. So um, really my education at Trinity shaped who I am today and I really attribute um, my success to it. So absolutely uh, couldn't speak more highly of a liberal arts education uh, you know, even just from my classes that I chose to take uh one of my favorite professors, Gail Waldo, taught a music class which uh, if you were an economics major or a history major, you may not have ne- ever gotten that opportunity to take classes to explore the history and origin of music so um that 's just one of many examples that I have uh that you know really shaped who I am today so
1: Terrific. Thank you. Anybody else have anything to add? Yeah, I I would,
5: I would just say to, uh, to Morgan that, you know, Morgan, you, you earned your way into Trinity college. You earned your way onto the hockey team. You earned your way onto the golf team and you're going to earn your way to a career that, that, that you set your sights on. And that's what it's all about. You heard from, from everybody on this panel about, you know, the steps that they took to get where they wanted to get to, and you're already doing that, and, and that same logic applies to your career. Uh, it'll become more and more clear to you what you want to pursue, and you'll have tremendous resource and confidence coming out of Trinity, and I would say as it relates to a liberal arts degree, you know, if you look at the situation we're in right now, You know, this is eight weeks of pure uncertainty, and we're gonna have more of it as we go forward. And to have a liberal arts education, to have that flexibility to adapt, I think there is a greater premium that will be placed on a liberal arts education than at any other time uh, in the last couple of decades. Right.
1: Thank you. Uh, We have one more question. It may be the last, let me check my time here. This one is really, again, for everyone. um, And I I hate to bring it up, but this is where we are now. His name is Bill Marimel, class of 69. I might point out that that was the first year we accepted women onto the campus. And uh, Bill is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And his question is the following. Thinking about your organization three years from now, do you think the coronavirus crisis will have a long-lasting impact on your business. Womp, womp, Um, Anybody want to tackle that? I'll take Tough it. One? Okay, I'll, Billy.
2: I'll start. I'm sure everybody's got, got thoughts. Yeah, we, we, uh, I think, you know, as I think we've said a couple of times, the uncertainty that we're all dealing with, not just in sports, but globally in every industry is uh, is unlike anything probably any of us ever expected to uh, to have to deal with um, but I think out of tremendous challenge there comes tremendous opportunity and you know I think Jay mentioned it with regard to you know what they're looking at in June um, in terms of you know how does that experience change it will change it has to change and you know what that does over the course of the next six months 12 months 18 months three years it's it's hard to know obviously but um, we know that it's coming. We know the change is, is here as we've been sort of saying internally is kind of forced change. Um, you know, the fact that uh, you've got a thousand people on a video conference, um, you know, that's not something anybody was doing, you know, eight weeks ago. Um, and it's, you know, we just people, people adapt, people change. And I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity that comes out of it. I think the digital uh front will be massive um already is obviously in everybody's business but um you know as we've seen over the course of the last several weeks the consumption of content that's going on um people's desire uh you know whether it's to watch the draft or to watch the last dance you know just reinforces the importance of sports and people's in people's worlds um, so I think you know, we're going through a process now internally to look at you know what does that restart look like? What does it look like from a fan's perspective? Um, obviously, if you don't have people in the stadium, what is that experience like? And there will inevitably be elements of that that we will take forward once we do have fans back in the stadium. So you know, that's just one example, but I think you know, it, it will absolutely impact us in the long term. And I think we've been focused, certainly over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, after kind of getting through the initial shock of, uh, of, the, sh- of the shutdown and lockdown um, to focus on, you know, pivoting and looking forward and, you know, how are we going to take, you know, positives out of this as we, uh, as we come out the other side of it.
1: Thank you.
6: I just add to what Billy said that I um, agree with everything he said as usual, but um, I, I would add that um, I am incredibly optimistic uh, about our businesses as we go forward. Um, you know, one of the things you have to do in these situations is remember what, who, we, who we are as, a, as an organization and what we stand for, whether it's the NFL or the Cardinals or the PGA Tour, or Liverpool Football Club or the Boston Red Sox. These are organiz- organizations with incredible values, great following, great brands. Um, everything fell off the cliff five or six weeks ago, Um, but that doesn't mean we're shrinking or going away, and we need to remember what got us to this point. This is my 19th year with the Red Sox, and we have to stay true to who we are as an organization, and we have to double down on the values in terms of what we mean to our players, uh, the league, our customers, our fans, our employees, uh, and you can't shrink during this period. You need to stand up, stand tall, and lead forward. Um, and so it's really important. And I'm very optimistic about human beings and their hardwired nature to gather uh, in, a, in a community and share a collective experience. Um, if anything, I think it's going to make uh, this time in, in quarantine and isolation is going to make people appreciate what we had pre-coronavirus. Uh, so um, Uh, Bill, you ask a a really good question. Absolutely, it's going to affect our business and how we come out of it. Um, But once we understand what the new world looks like, uh, I actually think this is an opportunity to bring the sports world uh, closer together and allow our fans uh, to appreciate uh, our businesses more than ever. Uh, And I'm very, very optimistic that we will return eventually uh, to a place where Uh, you're enjoying a game uh, at Anfield or at Fenway Park um, with with a a group in a crowd uh, and it may take us a while to get back to that uh, but but I'm very optimistic we'll return uh, to that um, to that uh, setting uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. And and as
4: Dan I would echo the same I mean I would just say that the speed of science testing and then followed by technology things we can use to uh, enhance or or know better protect fans and you know it's so far reaching when you think about not just players but you've got you know game day event staff concessionaires uh people inside the building outside the building there's so many aspects to it but i i I feel the same We're, we're, we're very optimistic about where it goes long term and um you know i think that uh you know, generally speaking, it, the health and safety of everyone is the, is the highest priority and I think there's an interim and, you know, science will take care of itself, but we got a lot, a lot of communication that we're trying to do with our fan base. Ultimately, what connects and makes these organizations so special is the connection with the fans and, and the community, not, not unlike what we're doing here. So we're trying to do everything we can to, to reach out to our fan base, be in communication and let them know that there's, there's something to look forward to.
1: Terrific. Jake,
5: did you? Well, yeah, I would just, uh, those are all fantastic points. The, the, the only other thing I would say is, or two things. One is, I think it's only natural to expect in our industry what you'll see in other industries, and that is that some companies just aren't going to make it through this. And so you're going to see mm. some forced consolidation. You'll see, uh, you'll see a, a period of acquisition, I would think, in, in, in the months ahead and the years that follow. You know, and our sport is a, is a fairly, uh, it, it, there are a number of different organizations in our sport. And I think when you get into a situation like this, you understand, you focus on efficiency and I think that will win out in the long run. And I think that could be a positive uh, for our sport. And I think it will be a positive for a lot of other sports. And, you know, going back to the, the comments you made about Christine Brennan and hearing Sam talk. You know, if, if we are an important part of, of the country and the world's, we being the sports industry, their mental health and well-being, um, that speaks to the soul of our industry. And I think when we come back, um, the purpose and the meaning and the values that we all represent and our organizations represent, um, I think there'll be a lot more attention to that. And as a result, I just think you'll see all that great work just happen a lot faster and more frequently. I think the heartbeat of the industry will be, will come through this very strong.
1: That makes me happy. That sounds very good. Um, What we'd like to do uh, for the next eight, ten minutes, um, we were thinking that the audience out there might enjoy hearing you ask each other questions that you might have, either based on today's Discussion, or maybe, I don't know, from when you were roommates or (laughs) fraternity. Yes, sir. I Um, think just reminiscing or asking questions. So I'm just going to open it up to you.
5: I'm going to ask Mimi to tell everybody how she got from senior year at Trinity College with what she expected to be doing in her career to the NFL and (laughs) what got her to the path to the role that she's in today.
3: And uh, apparently, I'm going to be commissioner one day, too, so you're live. your life. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks, Jen. I think, um, you know, I had a bit of a unique uh, pathway to where I am today. Um, I started uh, right after I graduated. I worked at St. Mark's Prep School in Southboro, Massachusetts in their uh, fundraising department and coaching three sports and a dorm parent, um, which was nuts for a 22 year old. (laughs) Uh, And I spent a year there, which again, is part of my journey. And I made my way back uh, to Trinity. um, And I was the assistant women's ice hockey coach and um, pursuing a master's degree, um, which during the summertime, I just decided, you know what, for right now, Uh, this wasn't for me, Um, and to explore other possibilities and If you would have asked me my senior year whether I would be behind a desk uh, typing on a keyboard, I would have said, you're nuts. I will be on the field or um, in a track suit of some sort. Uh, But uh, funny enough, and a little bit of luck and and hard work and determination, I landed an internship at the NFL um, in the events department, which really uh, was never a major at Trinity, but it, it it was a culmination of all my strengths that I had put into practice, uh, whether on the ice, uh, in my sorority, Mm. or just throughout campus. Um, And I spent about 11 years uh, doing event planning on meeting basis and large scale. So fortunately, I've been able to work on about 13 Super Bowls, which is pretty remarkable. Um, I still remember my first one Saw Prince live sing Purple Rain in the Rain, uh, which I will never forget. Um, and, and recently, you know, uh, I, I'm in an interesting um, pathway and fork in the road in my career. I've, you know, I am a bit younger than the rest of the members on the panel, um, but I have been working for 13 uh, plus years. So recently I, you know, I decided that I was done learning and, and and needed to grow a bit more. So I pursued an opportunity working in our COO's office and have made my way to be amongst um, some of the most intellectual. Intelligent, um, amazing um, executives in sports, so uh, that 's where I kind of landed today so i 'm very fortunate uh, to work at a company uh, that allows uh, that type of movement and growth um, and i and I really do um, attribute that to some of the lessons I've learned at Trinity and really taking um, taking opportunities and taking chances um, and just learning uh, to kind of be bold, which, uh, again, I really uh, learned um, at Trinity and, you know, a funny story. I mean, it just... It, telling um coming from a team that we didn't we didn't win many games Uh, i really don't like to talk about how many we won but you know every day we came out on the ice ready to work um and learned so many lessons just from that uh persistence and um you know ability to to just keep getting out there so that's where i that's how i made my way
1: (laughs) You, you know everybody listening to that story is right now thinking prince super bowl Spring weekend at Trinity. (laughs) I don't know. That's a tall stuff. Anyone else have a question?
6: I'd like to ask Billy Hogan. um, Billy, what what was uh, more difficult for you, um, taking over uh, the operations of Liverpool Football Club, moving your family four thousand miles away, um, or serving as the um, uh, steward of the Siu House in nineteen (laughs) ninety? For where you you conducted probably the best uh, nationwide search for the chef who be, uh, Dano who became the best chef yeah. in the history <laughs> of, of Trinity College. What, which it's one was it?
2: On? Yeah, Dan Fettinato, the best hire ever. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, one Josh Newsom, if he's out there listening, would would probably say that I was not a great steward because I. Repeated <laughs> I've completely slept through the start time of breakfast on Sundays. Um, No, it's been – the transition here has been terrific. We've been here now six years, and – we live in London, but I spend a lot of time up in Liverpool. Um, so we have a commercial office in, in London, and then we have the rest of our operations up in Liverpool. So it's been awesome, uh, a huge growth opportunity to move and the experience that comes with, uh, you know, moving to a new culture and um, all the joys of experiencing uh, life in the UK. But um, it's been great. But nothing is as hard as being the steward of a fraternity.
5: <laughs> I, I've
2: got one for Jay. I want to know, what what were the clubs – for your most recent two holes in one from this past week. Oh boy.
5: Uh,
2: and by the way, what holes? Just so everybody can imagine it. You didn't, you didn't
6: think you were gonna get away with that one.
5: So I, 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 uh, I had some, some good things happen to me during all this craziness. On Sunday, I got a hole in one at the on the 17th hole at TPC Sawgrass. <laughs> um i mentioned that my brother brendan is in town he's here with his two boys and, and abby and i i met up with them uh wednesday mm. late afternoon went back out and i got another hole in one on the 13th hole at tpc sawgrass stadium course so back to back holes in one it's uh i don't like to talk about myself but that, that, that that's uh that was a pretty ridiculous occurrence and what are you like a 15 handicap <laughs> yeah i'm somewhere i'm somewhere uh for those I of you in the
6: audience uh, uh, who don't know the Monahan family, uh, whether it's Joe the Pro, Jay's dad, or Brendan or Justin, incredible, you actually wouldn't be surprised to hear that he had back to back holes in one. It's just sort of been the story of, of the Monahan karma for decades and decades. How many, how many total holes in one do you have, Jay? Uh,
5: that's five. <laughs> so, so, so I was going to ask you, Dan, Billy, or Sam. You guys, you know, w- when, when you come to the ballpark or you come to uh, the pitch, the number of people that work day in and day out for your organizations, the number of fans you interact with. I'm just curious in terms of, you know, keeping your, your finger on the pulse, your, your, your connection to your employees and to your fans, what, you, what are some of the things that you guys do all, on that front?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, that's, I I mentioned this earlier, it's the far reaching nature of this to sort I'll just use our concessionaire, for example, being Delaware North Sports Service. I mean, the fact that they basically had to let go almost all of their employees within a week's time was just shocking, you know? Um, So we're trying to manage it the best we can. I think communication, I think trying to do Zoom meetings and whether it's reaching down to our affiliates through our GMs that run those affiliates, um, it's just keeping an open line of communication. I mean, in the case of the Cardinals, uh, our approach at this point has been to make sure we have everyone on full pay, full staff through the end of May, uh, hoping that we'd be a little closer to having some clarity to what uh, any kind of a season might look like. But um, I think just being honest with people, just letting them know we don't have all the answers yet. We're doing the best we can. Uh, Each club put together an emergency relief fund. We supplemented that with some funds from our cardinal care charitable arm, and really that those funds were aimed at, at game day event staff, people that were put out of work by nothing other than the, the virus and um, and just mm-hmm. trying to to let them know that they're, they're as much of our part of our family as anything i mean without that, without that they're the lifeblood of a game day operation, whether it's a ticket taker a concessionaire event uh, parking anything i mean show doesn't go on without them so just trying to be as honest and 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 in touch with them as as possible
6: i guess i would add that um well said dan we all started it somewhere and we heard mimi's uh, start and my start was uh, as an intern 1993 with the new york yankees and i'll never forget i had never been inside of a sports venue Um, a professional sports venue without any uh, people in the building.
2: Uh,
6: And when I went in for my interview with the the New York Yankees uh, in February 1993, the thing that that was just uh, burnished in my brain was that visual of Yankee Stadium with no fans. And it just just stuck with me. And since that time, I've worked either Yankee Stadium or Qualcomm Stadium out in San Diego or Fenway Park, have a privilege to go over to visit Billy at Anfield. And every time I walk into a, a, a venue, and there are no fans, I'm taken back to 1993. And, and that was the moment that I knew I wanted to work in sports, uh, just because I was so yeah, intrigued by the behind the scenes and the business of the sport. So when to answer your question, Jay, when we interact with uh, the men and women that work the front lines and, and are there, you know, you realize we're, we're all in this because the passion that we have for our sport. And just try and make sure that that permeates the culture in the organization, how lucky we are to be in this business, how lucky we are to go to work uh, at, a, at a golf course or an NFL stadium or a, or a soccer pitch uh, every single day. I mean, just never, ever, ever taking it for granted. And over the last six weeks, that really rings true to, to not be at Fenway with my teammates Uh, has been been brutal, and so um, not that we take it for granted, but uh, really looking forward to getting back there and just reminding everyone in our organization to never ever take for granted what we're so lucky to do every day.
1: Thank you very much. Um, I have to tell you, listening to you, but also looking at the five of you, as excited as I am and we all are for professional sports, to get back and get back strong and soon. I think we are also all thinking about the Trinity campus and one of those crisp, cool fall Saturdays where you're walking along the Lower Long Walk and you just stop by to check out a field hockey game or a football game or soccer and you know, volleyball is going on and the cross country kids are running around and we're all hoping and looking forward to that real real soon as well. Uh, to our many, many fans and audience, Trinity community, uh, who took 90-plus minutes uh, to spend with us, we hope they're even more proud of Trinity College and all of our alums, but particularly these five who are at the top of their game. And for the five of you, I wish Zoom had an applause button. <laughs> I'd push it. Um, thank you for all you do. I we, we, we knew how busy you were. We know that hasn't stopped during this time, and you have remained actively engaged with Trinity uh, as key volunteers and everything, and, and even spending this time with us today. It's so appreciated.
4: And Robin, and before, yes, before we disconnect, yeah. I, I think I drew the short straw, but um, yeah. first I'd like to give a shout out to my nephew, I'm not sure if he's on, Egan DeWitt, who will be incoming freshman next year, class of 24. So way to go, Egan. Hey, yeah, Egan. And, um, uh, as far as, you know, we're all hurting you know, organizationally. You know, personally, it's, it's a difficult time, but it's a difficult time for the college as well. So I would just, you know, um, urge anyone out there who can find a little something to support the college at this time. There's going to be some communications going out on behalf of the college, on behalf of even this panel. Um, just, you know, think about what's going on and what's, what are the needs of the school for the incoming class and, and then in the inter, interim period that, fa- that we all face in the next couple of years. So uh, dig deep. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, everybody. Good luck. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank
4: you. Thanks, guys. Um, Good luck.